32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. I'm Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. This week's county... Monaghan. And this week's... <laughs> okay. Look, I'm never going to be an accent to get to you, am I? Um, this week's question... Plastic fantastic. Does individual behaviour really make a difference? That's right. We'll be talking all things plastic. Does recycling matter? Is consumer behaviour ever going to change anything? Or or does this whole plastic um, abundance crisis need to be led by industry or by government, by legislation and so on? Stay tuned because you're going to learn a lot. But first, the week that was... Andrea, Facebook in the news again, as they are every day. Uh, this time, AOC giving Mark Zuckerberg a right grilling um, in at some kind of committee hearing. Yes. Where he, he was at, I was It what? was about his cryptocurrency he's about to introduce and to see if uh, they should allow it, Congress should allow it. And AOC was like, well, obviously, we base uh, the future on past actions. And to be honest, yours are in bits. And also, when the, she asked him about Cambridge Analytica, where he when he became first aware of it, and as far as I know, I think he said March 2018, which is when it just was broken. And Cal, which is Cal not Wallader true. Was like that's not true. Your staff knew about it like 2015. We've been beating on and on about this question to try and get to the bottom of it. Um, it's the one question I just keep asking. So he was like, "I'm not quite sure. I think it was just when it came out." So yeah, that's just not true. Um, I mean, I gave a talk about Cambridge Analytica in, I think it was like February of 2017. <laughs> so if I knew what was happening a year before Mark Zuckerberg, um, so it seems <gasps> maybe that. you should take over Facebook, bring back the photo albums. <laughs> <laughs> Nine Danka. But apart from AOC, what the interesting there's a few interesting spins on this uh, is that the Facebook staff I uh, seem to have run out of maybe drinking all the Kool Aid and penned a letter to uh, their bosses saying that their f- policy of allowing politicians to post any claim, even false one, was uh, also in bits um, and that it didn't represent the company's ethos and that it was actually quite damaging. Um, now, obviously, there was I think there was about 200 and something people who signed it. And in the greater scheme of things of the number of staff they have, that's a small amount. But the fact that there is this movement from internally, because so often the staff in these big tech companies, it's like they've been hypnotised when they go in. Yeah, and listening to Mark Zuckerberg always is one of the most annoying thing. I think he's just such an anodyne, you know, just say nothing type of person. Everything, all of the, like his word usage is so just like every single part of it is just smoothed away so that it just means nothing. And uh, that really annoys me. And uh, someone pointed out the reason why Mark Zuckerberg actually started Facebook was to actually rate the other girls in college. Yeah, and it was kind of like a hot or not. um, Which is a fun game. uh, Hot or not. Channel 4 have done a whole show about it. (laughs) Uh, Um, But also the funniest thing 
not the funniest thing, but like the most interesting thing to come out of all of this then is that this uh, guy in San Francisco called Adriel Hampton uh, decided that he's a campaigner as well for democracy and justice. And he decided that when he saw that the rules had changed for politicians, that they were able to spread misinformation and let's face it, lies, that he would run for a governor's position so that he could run false ads. Um, so he set up the uh, he's running and I also learned do you know when it goes into from a governor to a governor it's not called a governorship race oh yeah gubernatorial or something yeah gubernatorial yeah it's really weird it's bananas Mm. anyway that was my new word of the week oh maybe that's a new segment Uh, but he said he, he so he started running fake ads and Facebook have come out and said that he's not allowed and they're like he's like but I'm running for politics so I'm doing exactly the same thing as all these politicians why am I and they've made a special rule for him because he's set up this uh, governor run just to highlight this shit that's going down in Facebook um, so they're after starting a no, a, their own policy just against him and so it was like someone did the logic of it of like Facebook politicians can lie in ads they pay to run on Facebook and then Hampton came back okay I'm running for governor here's my money and a lying ad we can't let you run an ad you admit is a lie and he's like but you let politicians lie in ads and he's like well only if they don't admit it so there's this absolute shitstorm of lies going on and who's allowed and obviously they're basing it on the like the fight that or not the fight the argument that uh, the far right use for everything which is free speech and it's like if we don't let people lie we don't get to see what they're thinking it's a terrible argument <clears throat> and Nick Clegg who um, is kind of peddling this idea of, of that we should be allow um, politicians to purposefully you know campaign on mistruths it's like why are you doing this? This is the fundamental issue with the last election of and all of this disinformation he was ran against that in the last election as well. Well, and Warren is kind of trolling Zuckerberg as well, putting out these fake fake ads, purposefully fake ads. So, um, yes, as usual, in bits. Um, in Europe, there uh, the kind of the fallout of um, four Finnegal MP, MP, MEPs, excuse me, voting against that resolution um, for calling for kind of more action in the Mediterranean with regards to information being made available to any vessels that will be able to save um, migrants in distress at sea. Uh, the Finnegal MEPs voted against that, and uh, the resolution fell by two votes, much to the delight of the far right and. Um, fascistic members of the European Parliament and uh, I wrote my column about this on Monday Um, I just find it really profoundly depressing especially people like um, Maria Wall she ran on this kind of platform of like compassion and and Tamagotchis (laughs) compassion and Tamagotchis and um, obviously this the same week that uh, 39 migrants um, died in a truck that was found in Essex and and has a very um, solid you know Irish connection with that the the truck driver from Northern Ireland who has been accused of manslaughter um, according to uh, uh, lawyers he was he was in court uh, this week and they were they were the court was told that he was part of a global ring involving uh, smuggling large numbers of people so shame on the Finnegan I just don't understand the reasoning behind it like I just I keep reading neither does Maria Walsh by uh, by the judging her performance on Morning Ireland last Friday sorry go on um, well, the point, like I used to live with Maria at one stage and she like she is the most kind, 
person I've ever met. So I just don't understand how it's gone from this to following the party line of... Well, like, she has to. Like, you sign up to Fine Gael and the party is voting a particular way in their block in the EPP in Europe. You know, she can't renege against that. And, and this is the issue with people who are kind and who are good people joining parties that have unkind and bad politics. You know, that, that that's what's happened. You get subsumed and you have to go along with it. I and do, before you know it, you're in too deep to escape. Yeah, well, I think that, like, what do you expect? I mean, Fine Gael has, has voted with this block, um, you know, for a long time. And, you know, that block often aligns itself with really shitty politics. And can they stop voting with that block? Well, I think that you're kind of, you have to, you can abstain, you know, yeah. um, but... You know, if that's that's the way it's similar to it's like a macro version of the door. Like if that's what that block is is. doing, you have to go along with it. Um, And I think that, you know, her defense of it was very um, muddled. So, you know, but I I, I can't feel bad for somebody who is who is a good person doing that kind of things because you have to judge people on their their actions. actions. Um, And do you think that's why your man left early to get the train and the burger so he wouldn't have to vote? Sean Kelly, he, he Sean, Sean Kelly voted. Oh. He did vote, yeah. So so Claire Daly and Billy Callagher didn't vote. Um, but Sean Kelly... Oh, I thought he didn't vote because he had to get his train. No, that was another... Uh, okay. That was Billy Callagher, I think. So Sean Kelly, Maria Walsh, Francis Fitzgerald and Mairead McGuinness of Fine Gael, who are with um, the EPP in, in Europe, voted against the resolution and it was lost by two votes. And I, yeah... Like, I always try and look at the other side of like, okay, if it if the line that they're peddling is it's bad policy and more people will die in the end, like, is there a truth in that? And that people are voting maybe in their best, what they, I always think that people are doing what they think is best. And maybe that, and apart from people who are not. <laughs> well, I <laughs> Do you think, know what I mean? So, I like, I always feel like people think that they're doing the right thing. And if, if it is a case that more people will die based on this, is are, is that where it comes from? Well, that's not what what they're, what saying. they're saying. You know, the, like she did at the start when Sir Ma- McHugh was on Twitter. Whatever. Maria Walsh said on Morning Ireland, and Mairead McGuinness repeated this that it would somehow aid traffickers and smugglers if more information was available. So, like the resolution, the the part, the aspect of the resolution that. Finnegal were against and the EPP was against apparently although people who kind of other pop, all other MEPs have, yeah so you know hypothetically does that mean that Frontex which is the coast and border control um, agency would, would potentially be sharing information with you know bad people in the Mediterranean Does that not stink of a mistrust of your agency that are in charge of well, the border also, then uh, if like, that's the case Yeah and also it, you know there was a, a kind of a detail in the text that said that the information they'd be sharing would they wouldn't be sharing information that would compromise kind of operations so and and a Labour um, MEP in Britain said that he just didn't believe that this the, you know this explanation the the explanation that certainly that Maria Walsh put up on Morning Ireland um, last week was very muddled you know mm. she said she was um, that she wasn't pri- proud uh, of the party's actions that she was kind of disappointed almost that the vote didn't pass you know none of this makes sense it's very contradictory um, and you know Peter Sutherland has said before that this kind of idea that we ca- that Europe 
that the European Parliament can pass things that would aid you know smugglers or traffickers or whatever. He's made the point that um, MEPs or the European Union or the European Parliament often seem more concerned with um, smugglers smuggling than people's lives. Than people's lives. And, and so I don't know if the Fine Gael MEPs really know the nuances of that. You know, you'd have to presume mm. that they do because they are working there. But it was really pathetic, actually. And the defences of it were equally pathetic. And Sean Kelly saying, oh, you know, we we are, can't be associated with the far right at all. It's like, you just voted with them, mate. That's what you did. Anyway, let's move on from that. Um, you have uh, something down here about insomnia, um, shit PR, <laughs> about a vegan chicken fillet roll. Heart-hitting news. It actually is. It's uh, an independent... Um, sandwich company the vegan sandwich company created the chicken fillet roll and they had an asterisk where the E is in chicken and it was a really popular product and he sold it at markets and etc etc then Insomnia came out I think nine months later with their version of it and they spelt now they spelt it exactly the same with the asterisk where the E is etc etc so obviously vegan sandwich company are like are you on gear like what's why are you like robbing my idea and they're like well there's very like there's loads of versions of hamburgers and there's loads of versions of hot dogs we're just doing a version of a vegan chicken fillet roll which is all well and good but if you're going to actually have the same spelling branding blah 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 so that like that's kind of like that shit like that happens and like that's happened to me with Tropical Popcorn and uh, a brand brought out a Tropical Popcorn Homer's line after they were in the, the salon I was like are you on gear also um, but so that happens and the pe- higher powers that be but the way they answered it on Twitter was the most obnoxious way um, to handle somebody calling it out on something they were like well ha we're going to do it anyway and it was actually like like as someone who's worked in PR it's like there's five of you working in the marketing and PR team did all of you think this was the best way to go about um, dealing with a small artisan producer like maybe get them on side maybe like work with them or change the name or whatever just don't be absolute dicks they're absolute dicks about it and they were like there was a lot of call out culture around it which was deserved cool <laughs> well I'm, it was just, I'm I just uh, think no. but big I'm, business doing that to small it's just so like I am constantly aghast at how bad things like this are handled oftentimes um, you're so right like it's we've seen it happen so many times before all you have to do is just be sound and get everyone inside and, and then be respectful yeah be respectful for and sure just don't be I think the key here is just don't be a dick commemorative 50p Brexit coins <laughs> with the date of October 31st on them are to be melted down because obviously meltdown is going to have passed. Who does you never you never do that you never ever even write down something if you don't know what's going to happen. Like what the actual fuck? But then like every time this happens, so I'm reading the Irrational Ape. Uh, and it's all about the playbook of uh, this and making people think I'm not going to I'm only in chapter one so I'm not going to like analyse it but it, they're talking about like how fascists rule and that they do all these things to distract you and blah 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 so every time something like this happens I'm like it didn't just it's not a mistake they're, they're so strategic and clever they're not like oh we'll put these 50 P's out there's something strategic behind it and maybe I'm putting a lot more um Good. What's that word? 
maybe I'm giving them more credit than they deserve but I just feel like you, it's just too stupid it can't just be stupid. It can't be. Might just be stupid. <laughs> Something that's not stupid <laughs> is... Um, it's the best news ever. Cardi B is going to be in Fast and Furious 9. Well, the best thing about that, firstly, is that Fast and Furious 9 is coming in 2020. And they did that spin-off one. Hobbs and Shaw. Which was so crap. Oh, I'm glad I didn't see it. Then. Oh, my God. It's so crap. It's like... It doesn't have any of the Fast and Furious edge. It's like a crap comedy that's on Netflix and it's so cheesy. You're like, oh, I'm going to the toilet on the plane. Are you undercover? Oh, my God. It's like, that's not Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious is... Tanks on ice. (laughs) Tanks on ice. Vin Diesel holding someone's leg and swinging them along the ice while they drive. Michelle Rodriguez (laughs) spinning around on a coach. Submarines coming up through the ice. A car jumping from one of the barrage Hour of Towers to the other. This is the shit we're after. Not... Anyway, can't wait. And Cardi B, hero among heroes in there. And actually, it was really interesting. I was listening to... Oh, we'll come to this later. But I was listening to a podcast um, about a certain actress um, who was in a certain film about stripping. Is this about Jennifer Lopez? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, there was uh, a piece in there when they approached Cardi B to be in it um, that the main selling point for her was that she didn't have to change her voice and she could be... She didn't have to, like, assume something that wasn't her she could kind of come to it for where she was from with all her background as part of it and I thought that was another string to Hustlers bow. yeah she was great in Hustlers Um, who else is great Dublin drivers because they are officially the best drivers in the country sorry the rest of Ireland Um, this is uh, figures released from the CSO Central Statistics Office Central Statistics Office Um, that just 9% of drivers in Dublin have penalty points and second best drivers in the country which might make us a surprise to people um, are drivers in Donegal 11.5% worst drivers Wexford and Leash get it together well I was driving yesterday because I had to and I made a many comment about how in bits drivers are they're so selfish because I had to go around that like red cow like spaghetti junction mm-hmm. essentially nobody would let me out I was like you're absolutely selfish pricks I can't drive I'm too scared but um, this week's podcast <laughs> and this week's county is all about Monaghan we're going to fill you in on the links between Monaghan and why it's relevant to plastic and individual behaviour and recycling and all that kind of stuff but first it's Andre Horan with this week's Monaghan Facts Dun, dun, dun. Monaghan facts. Here we go. Oh, stony grey soil of Monaghan, the laugh from my love you thieved. You took the gay child of my passion and gave me your clod conceived. Did you write that yourself? <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Is that Patrick Kavanagh? That is the man, the legend, Paddy Kay, as he's known. Uh, he has a gore. He was born there. Now, obviously, that sounds like the most depressing thing about Monaghan. But as anyone who did their leaving cert knows that by the end of that poem, it turns into a homage to how great it is. So he had a lot of 
issues with Monaghan but he had a, he sorted them all out <laughs> good to know <laughs> Uh, he was born there and he has a Gorge Literary Centre in Inishkeen where he was born and lived. Um, and he obviously didn't write that poem there. He wrote that poem far away because it's very re- retrospective. Um, wow, poetry air. The population of Monaghan, 60,483. The name Monaghan or Munichon. Munichon, yeah. Munichon, yeah. My Gwaelgor is going well. Means the place of the shrubs. I wonder, is that like, what is it? It's like a drinkable vinegar. No. (laughs) (laughs) A small bush. What's a drinkable vinegar? Shrub. What? (laughs) Am I? Shrub. Shrub, the drinkable vinegar. Okay, fine. (laughs) Moving on. Uh, It's known as the Farney County and I couldn't find out why. Do you know why it's called the Farney County? What's a Farney? It's like a different language, Monaghan. I think Farney is a place in Monaghan because isn't it also known as Oriel County? Not from my research. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) That doesn't mean that it's not, but just not from what I read. Um, Following the War of Independence and the signing of the Anglo-Irish Treaty, Monaghan was one of three Ulster counties to join the Irish Free State rather than Northern Ireland. So it's in North... No, it's in Ulster, but not Northern Ireland. Not NI, it's ROI. Um, One of the facts, and this is a random fact that I came across, which... It's not really random. It's just, how is this a fact? But I think it links nicely in with our Leitrim episode because apparently the intensive forestry practices of Ireland's National Forestry Service, aka Quilcha, mean that only small pockets of native woodland remain, which is VSAT. And, but do you know what is not VSAT? I've been noticing so many people asking about tree planting services for presence. So uh, there seems to be people are really focused on giving uh, native planting a go. I'd be into that. It's a lovely present, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, and who needs stuff? Like we need the world and we need the lungs of the world in our own country planted. You don't need another pile of shite. Po- whatever. <laughs> Crap. Uh, in the famine of the 1840s, Monaghan lost a third of its population and has never quite recovered. However, 20 years before that, Carrick Macross was uh, the founding place of this beautiful and intricate lace, which was founded in 1820 and was featured in both Princess Diana and Kate Middleton's wedding dresses and is still handmade today. And actually, our county rep is a big fan of Carrick Macross lace and she put it in her collection which was all about female genital mutilation um, and uteruses and um, used a lot of Carrick Macross lace to fashion uteruses in her last collection. Wow. So stand by for Natalie B. Coleman as our rep. You just totally spoiled her county rep. Oh. Or maybe... No, it's just coming soon. It's like a trailer. (laughs) Hope Castle, tell me about that. So, it was built by the family associated with the Hope Diamond. That's that giant um, diamond, isn't it? It's like one of the biggest in the world. And it's blue. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my ring. Mm. Yeah, kind of. Imagine. Um, It was destroyed by an arson attack in 2010 and hasn't been resuscitated yet. So, um, they probably should. Oh my God, this is my best one. How do you resuscitate a castle? You redecorate. Oh, they nice. should get Dermot Bannon in. <laughs> Put a few windows in. 
grey walls. Um, oh, this is the best one because when I found out this fact, I sent a beautiful photograph to you this morning because Monaghan is home to bog snorkelling. Mm. Yes, yeah, so this is to do with the 9am photo I got of Leo Vradker in a wetsuit this morning. In a bog. Bog snorkelling. In a bog, yeah. He's a big fan of it, apparently. Like... That's gas to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Are there gold in them there hills of Monaghan, Andrea? Enlighten me. There is. Um, but like, I kind of feel like if there still is, we shouldn't be shouting about it because next of all, we'll have someone in mining it and selling it off. And Where's the gold? Uh, it is in the hills of Clontibur. <laughs> You're just asking me to say that. <laughs> it is in Clontibret. 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 Is that right? I'm really looking for every week some really diligent and, and nice and smart and accurate people um, get in touch telling us how to present or to pronounce the names of places we're talking about. So uh, Clontibret, maybe I would have said. I would have spelled it differently. OK, well, let's take it up. Well, well, we, it's actually lovely when people send us voice notes on our Instagram going, actually, this is how you pronounce it. So keep that up. Send. Yeah. So any Monaghan people, please correct us this week. Uh, the New Zealand National Anthem was written by a Monaghan man, Thomas Bracken from Clones. Clonus. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> come on, place names. Uh, or maybe come on, Andrea, and learn them. Monaghan is known as the Irish Nashville. Um, I don't know who named it that, but we're going with it as it's the home of country music in Ireland and all the big names um, are up there in hotels singing their hearts away. And there's a big festival called the Monaghan Country (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, what? The Monaghan Country Music Festival. um, And it's the home of Big Tom. Now, he is a ledge bag, apparently, in that area. Big Tom and the mainliners. Yeah. And yeah, they're mad about him. And what's that? The lovely girl from Dancing with the Stars. Did I just say lovely girl? Oh my God, am I an absolute walking Father Ted episode without the turf rider? Um, But they also have the Harvest Time Blues Festival. So it's a big music town. uh, So go on, Monaghan. And it's like made, it's made loads of people who are stunning, such as Barry McGuigan, boxer. I used to idolise him now. And I was... I'm not a sporty person, as we've figured I out. I also was a big Barry McGuigan fan. Why? It must just have been a timing thing yeah. when we were kids. It, yeah. was, it kind of was around Italian 90 time, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, Barry McGuigan, uh, Charlene McKenna, who's a fab actress. Helen Steele, who is a designer and artist who makes gorgeous dresses and also size inclusive sportswear. Available and done, not an ad. Hashtag spawn, not spawn. Katrina Balf, Ryan Sheridan and Tommy Bow. Now I have a little story about Tommy Bow. Go on. <laughs> it's actually not really about him. It's more about Man- Monaghan County Museum. They have all five of his jerseys that he wore in the winning matches of the Six Nations. But it's in the... Um, in the museum besides some random shit and it's actually a really I can't remember what the random shit is but it was the dichotomy of the two that was actually the good story but I can't remember so it's a shit story <laughs> um, <laughs> yep uh, Paul McCartney and Heather Mills got married at Castle Leslie and so did Gordon Darcy and Aoife Coogan so there's kind of like a a little rugby 
thread running along here, whether mm-hmm. they're getting married there, being born there, you know. And key fact about Monaghan, Clint Eastwood visits regularly to play golf because his mother has roots in Monaghan. There you go now. Now, I always read them, it's like his mother has roots. What does that mean? His like... His mum's actually from Monaghan, though, isn't she? Is no. She? Oh, right, okay. Roots, 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 roots. Roots. Well, those are fantastic um, Monaghan facts. Many's a, a, an afternoon I spent in Clonus uh, watching Calvin get beaten by my dad because that's where um, the football is played in Ulster a lot of the time. And I just have this memory from my youth of walking up this giant hill to the stadium always and Calvin always getting beaten by like Tyrone and Armagh and stuff but um, yeah there you are okay. now man I'm coming back place. to the Tommy Bow story okay go on so it is where is it there it is Tommy Bow so beside the the green jerseys is items ranging from a holy communion bread cutter <laughs> to wow. a, a medical device once used to treat TB <laughs> Tommy Bow, <laughs> TB. Oh, wow. Okay, right. Our county rep this week is the fabulous Natalie B. Coleman. Um, this is not her biggest achievement, but she made a bridesmaid's dress that I wore recently, um, <laughs> which was absolutely stunning. And it was like a w- big white wedding dress. Um, but Natalie is a fab designer. She's a lecturer in NCAD. She makes... Um, her designs are all very politically edged. She um, is also a student herself um, studying uh, feminist practices and um, empowerment and is actually off to the UNFPA Nairobi Summit taking maternal health, women's health period, talking maternal health and women's health and periods and uteruses um, and how they're linked into fashion. And to me, she is a uh, wonderful woman as well as being our county rep this week. Hi, um, my name is Natalie Coleman and I'm originally from Dunamine, a small parish in Monaghan um, near to Cartmore Cross, big tidy town winner. <laughs> um, things I love about Monaghan um, well, I like that it's a northern county, but it's not in the north. That's that's a big plus. Um, I like, mostly I think I like the quietness, that there's all these gorgeous little small country roads where you can get lost and um, no one will bother you. You can pick blackberries and scream. But um, what else? Birch Tree Yoga, gorgeous little place um, for yoga in Maracloon, overlooking a lake. There's lots of beautiful lakes in Monaghan. There's um, Ambledown Tea Rooms in Glasslock, um, which is a um, gorgeous kind of stone house that's divided into lots of little rooms, all nooks and crannies and stuff with sofas and antiques and they have a pizza oven and you can bring your own wine, which is always a plus with me. Um, Castle Leslie also in Glasslock Charlie McKenna also from Glasslock the actress who's gorgeous um, Ardlo Hanlon who played Father Dougal he's a good export um, did I mention the humour that's it people I think I like people <laughs> the people from Bodhead a lot they're deadpan and sarcastic and they have a kind of 
darkness about them a little bit. Um, super friendly, very entrepreneurial, as border people are. Um, but yeah, I appreciate the people. Um, also, the hills, Drumlin County. So it's basically like the Tuscany of Ireland. Um, instead of wine, there's kind of Monaghan milk. And there's ducks, eggs, chickens. What else? Mushrooms. Love all of those things. Um, Cartmacross lace, which is very beautiful. Also, the people who fought to abolish ground rent. Uh, Mr. O'Gorman, Brian Ward. Um, that took it to the high court, I think, or the European court. Um to abolish paying ground rent to the landlord, Shirley. Um, still paying, though. But, um, you know, like that kind of spirit. And I think that's that's it. Eggs, chickens, hens. Monaghan. Oh, and Dunamine football team, the ladies' football team that win all the Ireland's and my dad trains them. Got Definitely love those. Now, recycling and the banning of particular products has an impact on how we feel morally and it impacts on our future activity. For example, banning straws allows companies and their customers to feel like they've done their part. And this is known as moral license. Um, we are able to use good deeds essentially to justify more immoral behaviour. And joining us today to explain moral license a bit more is Nishat Babu, who is a chartered psychologist. Hi, Nishat. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks uh, a million for having a chat with us today. Could you uh, maybe just explain what moral license is and how mm. it works and how it affects our future behaviours? Yeah, sure. So generally in psychology, we, we say that individuals have a desire to be consistent in their behaviour. So we all strive uh, for consistency. So a lot of theories in psychology um are focused on this uh, consistency in our behaviours. Now, moral licensing actually stands counter to this and suggests that actually there are times when we behave inconsistently. Um, so we suggest, Sean, for instance, um, that if you're moral at one point, you would be more likely to engage uh, in more questionable or immoral behaviour later on or to do nothing uh, when action is required. Um, and, and this is what's termed moral licensing. Now, it can work two ways. Um, so we theorize that either it works through this idea of moral credits. So when you engage in something good, let's say I donate blood uh, at the blood bank or I give money to charity, um, I've earned credits. I then feel like I can then withdraw these credits and later engage in possibly questionable behavior without there being any harm to my moral self. Whereas the other sort of way that we try and reason this is that it actually might be moral credentials. So the idea that when we've engaged in moral behavior, we feel that we've satisfied our moral sense of self and how we view our uh, moral self-concept. And so when we later engage in potentially um, questionable behavior or maybe not taking action, so uh, I see someone asking for charity and I don't give any charity uh, and I'm able to do so because I've previously engaged in moral behaviour, so I have not harmed, again, my moral self-concept. 
And if is that clear? Yeah, that's perfectly clear. Yeah, and if we're to look at then that in a recycling point of view, mm-hmm. if we're um, as consumers taking the onus on mm-hmm. ourselves to recycle and we're at home mm-hmm. sorting all our uh, rubbish into s- different bins mm-hmm. and putting it away and we're like, oh, that's brilliant now. I've done my bit so I don't have to mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. work as hard on changing mm-hmm. policies or influencing the way we kind of change. Mm-hmm. Um, would that be true? So it's not so clear cut. So research has shown, for example, and we can think of it on a um, more strategic level. So when we look at organizations and their social responsibility, obviously the CEOs are in, in charge of sort of setting the strategy and direction for the organization. And what you find is that when um, CEOs um, are socially responsible, the previously they're actually more likely to engage in social irresponsibility the next year. Um, so we know that. And but there's a caveat to that which I'll come to later on. Uh, but when we look at sort of let's say the more individual level, maybe the level that most of us can identify with, um, research has shown that when you compare um, two groups, a control group with a group um, that is participating in a water conservation program, actually yes, your water conservation does. Um, improve, but actually on the flip hand, um, you end up increasing uh, in your uh, electricity consumption. So research has shown um, that as well. Um, and, and we also know if, for example, that we have paper waste bins, paper recycling bins nearby, and um, we're actually more likely to use paper um, uh, as opposed to if there was a regular bin there. Um, or if you ask people, like, well, um, you know, you have this hybrid car that's uh, traveling 20,000 kilometers, and then you have this SUV that's traveling um, 10,000 kilometers, which one's better? They'll say it's the hybrid, even though actually um, the uh, the energy consumed is actually more in that situation. So um, I liken it to, you know how we sometimes go to the supermarket and, and we're shopping around and we walk through the vegetable section, in marketing, um, they've specifically put the fruit and the veg right at the front of the supermarket. So consumers will stock up. They'll feel good about themselves. They've got some healthy produce uh, in their baskets. And so when they get to the crisp and um, chocolate section, then hell has no uh, fury and, and we'll stock up there. Um, so generally, that's they're the relationships that we find. So, yeah, you're right in assuming that. You know, we might in some cases engage in these environmental behaviours, but there might be an offsetting. There might be sort of a negative spillover where later actually we might be more lenient. Um, But the caveat I was speaking about earlier is, well, individual differences are relevant here. Um, And one of the one individual differences we can speak of is moral identity. Um, And and this is the idea as to how and the extent to which we uh, view ourselves as being moral beings. And it has two facets, an internal one, which is our internal private expression of our, of our moral self, or there's an external facet, which is um, sort of the symbolic aspect of our moral identity, and how we express our moral identity uh, in public behaviors, for instance. Um, and so what you find is that actually if you're higher in moral identity, um, you want you, you strive for that consistency we spoke about earlier on. So you strive to remain moral uh, across different situations. Um, but at the same time, with the symbolic aspect of moral identity, uh, what we find is that sometimes it can, this can be quite selfish. So um, we are only interested in projecting a moral image. So others view us as being moral, but actually privately, um, that might not be the case. So yes, there are added caveats to um, 
how this relationship, this moral licensing might play out. It might play out for some individuals, but for the individuals who are quite internally moral, it's part of the self-concept. They strive for that consistency. So would you say then, taking all of that into account, a campaign to make us stop using plastic straws, is that a good thing or a bad thing when moral license comes into it? And does it make a difference? hmm. I think we have to be um, careful about almost sort of using moral licensing as as Bible and saying, well, you know, um, based on um, its predictions, people behave inconsistently and, and they offset their behavior and so no use will come uh, of these situations. Um, even being, research shows, even being aware of um, green products, um, that primes us to be more altruistic. So if anything, these initiatives, you know, given the issue we have around plastic usage, around um, environmental issues uh, in this day and age, we have to almost have the mindset that, you know, this can only be good. Um, yes, for some individuals, it might mean that they offset their behaviours, but then that means we can't, we can't be inactive, we can't take, uh, we can't stop taking action. So we have to do uh, what we can do. And for some individuals, it will mean that they're consistent and they'll um, reduce their plastic usage. They'll use, um, you know, stainless steel reusable straws as opposed to plastic straws. Whereas other individuals, they might, and they might offset their behaviours, but there's no way that we can control this. And so, if anything, there is still some good um, coming out of this uh, initiative for some people. Amazing. Good to know. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you, Andre. Thank you so much to Nisat, who is lecturer in work psychology and a co-programme director for psychology and business in Ashton University. Hey, Megan, how are you today? Good. Good to be here. Fab. Would you be able to maybe explain uh, what it is you do? Sure. Um, Well, I'm an industrial designer and I focus on bioplastics, Um, but I'm not your typical industrial designer and in that uh, I'm also have a background as an artist and I really like to think about the future of how um, packaging will interact with our environment. So um, I do that within industrial design. What what is bioplastic? Um, Sure, um, bioplastics uh, come under the umbrella of biopolymers or biomaterials. Um, So it really just means any material that can break down more in harmony with the environment and is not produced necessarily from fossil fuels are produced generally from renewable resources. So there's um, just kind of multiple factors when looking at what a biomaterial is, and it isn't exactly, um, hasn't actually been standardized, the definition, which is somewhat problematic. So um, you can, from my perspective, you can approach biomaterials uh, kind of from the beginning of the cycle. You might be more interested in um, carbon sequestration or reducing your carbon footprint. And what I'm quite interested in is the kind of end of the cycle, which is how these materials interact uh, with the environment, so that we would call that the end of the life cycle of material. Um, and I suppose to get to the end of the life cycle, they have to be used and disposed of. Um, but there seems to be uh, a f- some restrictions in how they're being disposed of in terms of how people approach it, whether it is a recycling or whether it goes into the compost or ha- how they're being disposed of. Is that an issue with bioplastics currently? Yeah. Yes, absolutely, and that and that you just 
shot right to the heart of my interest in this work. So uh, when you think about um, there's this kind of trend in design around circular design and uh, biomaterials absolutely um, come under the heading of those circles. So we think about life cycles. Circular design means like um, following the material from birth to use back to when it's finished. So um, you mentioned recycling and compost. They actually represent two different circles, if you can imagine. So recycling would be the technical cycle, and then uh, compost would be the biological cycle. So um, it's kind of important to make the distinction because it's the two um, never the twain should meet. <laughs> uh, compostable material um, actually can be recyclable, but it really reduces, if it is recyclable, it reduces um, its the material's uh, harmonious qualities with the environment. So it's, I'm very interested in keeping the technical recycling world separate from the composting biological breakdown world. And like while I was looking at bioplastics, there seems to be quite an issue with labeling in terms of what, like, there's so many people can use a different definition of what a bioproduct is and where, um, how much it has to be, I suppose, in sync with the environment. And is there any guidelines or policies or restrictions for manufacturers of bioproducts um, and bioplastics? Yeah, of course there are, there needs to be. Um, but um, if you think about, they can be quite um, opaque for the average consumer. So, you know, when you think about that split second of I've finished my soda, what do I do with my cup now? Um, and look at what we've kind of learned from the mistakes that the recycling system made. Um, the recycling system relied heavily on, on those labels, telling us, uh, okay, I'm not sure what the um, process is. looks like in Ireland, but in the U.S. we have a little recycling symbol on the bottom of the package with a number and then you have to know according to what county you're in or what state you're in if those numbers are acceptable and if you're someone who moves around a lot it's very confusing and you end up with uh, what eventually happened to the recycling system is the recycling was so contaminated with non-recyclables um, that the world it became too difficult for um, the world's recycling centers to make use of that material um, so Composting, um, compostable materials, biomaterials currently are using, um, they have, there are a few different standard, standardized um, requirements that will earn a product that stamp of this is uh, compostable. Um, but of course, what does that mean to the consumer? So generally what the stamp means is yes, this material will break down in a municipal high heat digestive um, composting uh, facility. It does not mean it'll break down in your backyard. Uh, and because these materials often look so close to their recycling brethren, if you think of the plastic fork versus the compostable plastic fork, uh, it, it becomes quite a Pandora's box if a municipal program were to allow uh, compostable forks to enter into these kind of uh, what we're seeing more of these pickup, city pickup programs when the consumer is already having a difficult time decide, dis, uh, discerning between a plastic recyclable fork versus a compostable fork. Which one do you put in the bin? And you're working on, I suppose, a next-gen bioplastic which uh, breaks down in nature, essentially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Sure. Um, so I'm not alone, and there are a lot of... Um, 
designers out here. We're experimenting with different materials, um, uh, and um, these materials are quite uh, wonderful in that they do break down quite readily in the environment. Um, <clears throat> what people don't understand sometimes is, you know, so I make a lot of prototypes using a gelatin-based biomaterial, and it can break down readily in the environment in a few days uh, in its raw form. Um, it, if it encounters water, it will start dissolving. Uh, but what people don't understand is that through layering um, and multiple applications, it's a little bit more sophisticated understanding of how to use um, these biomaterials in tandem or in correlation. We can start to control exactly how long we want these materials to last. So if you think about, um, I work with my students, we talk about you know, traditional plastics, uh, can exist on the earth between, uh, depending on what research you look at, you'll get a number between 1,000 and 5,000 years. Um, we talk about, well, how long do you actually need that um, jug, that um, jug of milk, that jug to last, and it might be closer to around uh, 45 days on the, on the long side. So we kind of talk about, okay, well, as manufacturers, how far off are we? in terms of the life cycle of our material, and it's in the, you know, 5,000, you know, 4,999. <laughs> yeah, we're way off. Um, so people, um, there can be this kind of stigma around biomaterials of like, well, how long will they last? Um, but the truth is uh, we can actually um, design them in a way that they would last just as long as we require them to last. And is so there... starting from the... I'm sorry. Is, is there a lot of interest from corporate companies in bioproducts and bioplastics and moving towards yeah. that? There is a lot of interest. Um, uh, the issue tends to be in the in the, uh, the industry itself. So if you you know if you just alter the shape of a potato chip bag, um, you know if you just add a ziplock to a potato chip bag, suddenly that manufacturer has to change a lot about their process, a lot of the machines that they're using, a lot of their initial investment, um, they have to completely rethink. So we're asking the industry to work with a new material that doesn't um, necessarily function in the way that uh, traditional plastics function. So the kind of, not another reason industrial design has been so wonderful um, a wonderful place to work in this area is we look at, you know, the way things work, the way things are made, and now are experimenting with these materials to say, well, can they be thermoformed? Can they be, um, can they wrap around the dye? Can we extrude them? Can we um, 3D print with them? How can we get the materials and the, in, and the manufacturing industry to kind of meet um, to a place where we're ready to start launching big change? Megan, from a consumer and individual point of view, like we constantly um, see different initiatives um, like the new materials you're discussing and then things like in Europe, particularly like the ban on microbeads, um, people in bars see the plastic straws um, disappear, um, much more emphasis on reusable bottles, all this kind of stuff. And so it's coming from loads of different areas, both, you know, massive issues like plastic in the ocean to smaller issues like plastic in the home, let's say. But if you could do one thing that you think would have the biggest impact on this area, what would that be? Oh, oh my goodness. 
Um, I mean, I, I, it feels like a cop-out to say I think I'd be doing what I'm doing, which is I'm interested in making all of our kind of thoughtless waste become um, soil compatible. So I'm really driven by the notions of convenience and ease um, and kind of just a general either expressed or unexpressed wish to not harm the environment. <laughs> um, so my focus, um, the reason I make the, uh, the kind of uh, the work that I do is can we make these materials, can we make this packaging? Um, if someone has a soda and they leave it behind in the park, can that cup be broken down by the decomposers um, that are existent in the soil already. So that's why I really like to design for bacteria or decomposers. That's super practical. I'm, I'm a fan <laughs> of your thought process. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, that is so good because uh, as lovers of sparkling water, uh, we would love <laughs> convenience to come in yes. so we can drink sparkling water yes. on the go. So I hope yes. it's adopted by sparkling water makers very soon. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so good. And you are working with the Science Gallery on their plastic exhibition at the moment. Yes, that's right. And um, I'm hoping to be able to get up there and check it out. Amazing. Well, that is running till February. So uh, we hope our listeners pop in to see the work that's being done there. And thank you for joining us today, Megan. My pleasure. Thank you, Andrea. Now let's talk about what you can do. Number one, continue to recycle as much as possible, but better than that, avoid buying single-use disposable products. Uh, And whilst you're doing your bits, continue to be cognizant of moral license. Uh, Pressure needs to be put on manufacturers and policymakers to make decisions that have a positive impact on the world. And you just doing your bits and recycling is not enough, so don't... Uh, pat yourself on the back and say am I die deadly and remember that money does talk so be cognizant of where you're spending your money and who you're giving your money to you have down here Andrea be conscious of the production processes around longer lasting products what do you mean by that so when you look at this um, and I'll actually I have a few facts here that uh And Denmark's Ministry for Environment and Food found that you need to reuse a paper bag at least 43 times for its per use environmental impact to be equal or less. A paper bag? Yeah, to be less than that of a typically disposable plastic bag used one time. Um, And also an organic cotton bag must be used 20,000 times to produce less of an environmental impact than a single use plastic bag. So there is a lot to be said of... uh, we're very focused on get rid of plastic, get rid of straws, get rid of plastic bottles, um, get rid of plastic bags. And we're all using cotton totes. But when you then look at the impact of creating a cotton bag, mm. um, that stuff like the CO2 emissions, the water use, the land use, etc., that that doesn't uh, come into just the impact on on just pl- plastic pollution. So we we obviously it's very visual when you see plastic bottles in the water, but we don't see the process that is it, that it takes to make a cotton bag. Or yeah, that so it's, it's about everything exactly. Yeah, um, and that. we need to start having more discussions about systematic solutions rather than just banning uh, 
products. It needs to be holistic about the products we use and their impacts um, and we have to think about alternatives all the time. So it's not just about ban this, ban that, don't use plastic bottles um, and like don't use plastic bags whereas a tote can sometimes have more of an environmental impact than your single-use plastic bag. Another thing you can do is go to the plastic exhibition at the Science Gallery in Trinity College in Dublin. It runs until February 9th, 2020. Can't believe it's 2020 next year. I'm freaking out. Anyway, go to that. And you can also, a really good thing you can do. (laughs) Maybe the best. Maybe the best is support us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. We really, really appreciate everyone's support, but we do need more people to get on board. So if you're listening to this and you haven't contributed to the podcast yet, please do. And let me tell you a story about Patreon. Go on. So obviously I'm signed in um, as United Ireland on my phone um, on Patreon and I kept meaning to sign up to support other podcasters that I liked and I just kept going oh I must do that I must do that and it was just the fact that I had to sign back out and sign in as my personal account that kept putting me off so I made the leap I sat down at the weekend I signed out signed up as my personal Patreon and I made my supports to the podcast that I'm digging so I know there's sometimes hurdles and I know people have said to me oh I had the tab open and I just never do it well you fucking do it we need the dosh and like (laughs) we need to pay our wonderful producer and we have to get these tote bags finally made etc etc they're about to go in the post I'm only being facetious there ethically made by the way ethically made and Irishly printed by Jill and Jill which is amazing. So please support us. We really need your help. And um, we're loving making this and we want to keep going. But we do need more people to come on board. So maybe you have um, supported the podcast to date. Maybe tell your mate to do the same. Tweet about it. Put it on the gram. Get in touch with us about things that you'd like to hear. We love people getting in, in touch with but us. don't put it on Facebook. Uh. Now, Get in the Sea this week. And, you know, I never get to do Get in the Sea. Um, and I feel like it is a violation of my right. No, I feel, <laughs> I feel bereft. So this week um, I get to do Get in the Sea. And my Get in the Sea this week is Kanye West's new album, Jesus is King. Now, the reason uh, that I'm putting it in the sea is that it's shite, basically, Um, And I just feel like Kanye has made a couple of my favourite records, basically. Um, My Beautiful Dark Twist of Fantasy. And I love 808 and Heartbreak as well. Uh, One of my favourite albums. But he's been faffing around um, and he was meant to release an album called Yandy. And then he put this one out. It's like shorter than half an hour initially it's quite interesting in terms of the gospel element to it sonically you're like oh wow maybe this will kind of redefine gospel music and there are some couple of interesting production twists on it but most of them are recycling new ideas it's really shallow which is weird because it's meant to have this very profound Christian aspect to it it's just paper thin not into it at all and I think he's you know the the obviously like an, as an artist as talented as this he just hasn't really been making good tunes recently. But one of the things that I found just so fucking annoying about this album was lyrically, it's pants. 
in particular closed on Sunday um, which has kind of become quite talked about because he has this really terrible lyric which is closed on Sunday you're my Chick-fil-A which is the American um, chicken fast food restaurant which only lasted a month in Wales yeah and also funds um, anti-LGBT stuff which is why they shut down in Wales thank you Andrea (laughs) Chick-fil-A correspondent Um, but lyrically actually this album is the pits and reinforcing really tired old boring ideas for example one of the lyrics on this track is when you've got daughters always keep them safe raise our sons train them in the faith you know Um, and just these kind of hackneyed gendered old fashioned suburban conservative boring lyrics and for somebody who was once known as an innovator in music to be treading this kind of water is pathetic so can you ask Jesus is king Um, get in the sea can I also add Another reason why he can get in the sea is his recent comments about uh, Kim and her dressing sexily. What did he say? It was in an episode of The Kardashians and it was basically him giving out her going, "Uh, your your body is for me and I hate when you go out dressed so sexily. And she comes back to him going, "Uh, how can you say that when you've built me up to be who I am now and to be confident in being able to be sexy and now you're you're like telling me not to be like you're on your journey but that doesn't mean I'm on my journey like yeah he's just you know he's always always had really weird gender politics and I just feel like he's going into some like old dude conservative um, zone you know and the less said about yeah. Trump stuff the better um, so bye <laughs> splash splash <laughs> fave bits this week okay my fave bits Um, I'm reading the testaments at the moment which is just as well because I'm doing a public interview with Margaret Atwood in the National Concert Hall on Saturday so anyone who's going to that it's all out ages ago Um, but I'll see you there Um, my other fave bits are also book related two new music books are out at the moment which I can't wait to get my hands on Uh, number one Paddy Smith the Queen herself and her book The Year of the Monkey which is about moments from 2016 excited to read that always enjoy Paddy's books like Just Kids and M Train and um, the one that I read recently that I can't remember what it's called but it was good um, and another new book from that is out music related is Joni Mitchell's um book of lyrics and drawings it's called Morning Glory on the Vine Early Songs and Drawings and it's actually a reproduction of a limited edition book she put out in 1971 I love Joni Mitchell so much you are so rock and roll this week that's not rock and roll Joni well I suppose Joni I mean Paddy's rock and roll it is I see I have my Joni tattoo here on my arm it just says blue I thought that was for Duncan Smith <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> oh God. Okay, my other fave bit. Um, no, actually, those are all my fave bits. That's it. Over. No more fave bits. My yeah. fave bits. I am sweating. Actually, do you know what? I do have a oh, fave gosh. bit, and it's Monaghan related. While um, we were kind of going through this podcast, I was thinking about another thing I like about Monaghan. Remember that song "16" by The Flaws? No. They're from Monaghan and that was a jam.
My favourites. I am absolutely sweating profusely um, because Cher is this Friday and I have seen some pictures from the show and it looks like a feast for my eyes as well as my ears. And I just think Cher is the like gasses bitch uh, on Twitter she is so good at throwing shade and shutting shit down and just uh, being a boss ass bitch in general and I just think she's one of the greatest show women there is out there and I cannot wait to go to her concert on Friday I'm actually raging I'm not going full scale rage no. yeah I would be as well and I just yeah I'm sweating shout out to my mate John who's the biggest share fan I know there you go okay continue uh, also I'm very excited for Sanctuary which is a club night a new club night brought to you by the queen of the Dublin club scene if I may give her that crown I think she deserves it is Jess Brennan and um, that is on Halloween night um, in Tengu and it is um, it is what would you say What's that word? I'm always searching for a word. I really need to work on my memory because it really impacts on my word usage. It is fetish inspired um, by the type of clubs in Berlin, like Bergheim, where you get dressed up and you dance your titties off to uh, techno. So that is on Thursday. Um, Also, I am having a fave bit around Together for Yes, who launched their book next week. talking about the journey to the yes vote um, and the work that was put in from the all the groups that were involved so very much looking forward to seeing this book in real life and finally my fave bit so in, this is I'm going to overshare a little bit but in the run up to my period I hate talking to people and I go underground and I sit in for maybe three days because I get really agitated by people in mm. general and I watched the full series of The Politician, which is Ryan Murphy's new show on Netflix. And he is the TV genius who made Pose and he made something else fab as well. He made um, American Crime Story, O.J. Simpson, Glee. Glee. Did he do yeah. American Horror Story? Yeah, I think so. But The Politician is a really bright and sparkly and uh, colourful show that is also really dark and bleak um, in its stories and what is encapsulated in it. But it's uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's in it. She is amazing in it. You forget what a brilliant actor she is. She is so good. My friend went to her house. Ooh. Yeah, and had like chats and drinks with her like obviously fermented drinks but like (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah that was a really good insight and also I was watching along and I didn't I hadn't read anything about it and I got to the last few episodes who makes a fab appearance Bette Midler Bette Midler yeah I am obsessed with Bette Midler obviously because me and my best friend think we are um, her and your other woman in beaches what's her name She's really famous as well. Anyway, I was always a Bette Midler who, character. Who is it? It's um, Beaches. Is Barbara Streisand at Beaches? N- no, but it's Barbara something. Uh, Barbara Hershey. Barbara Hershey. Ooh, that was close. Yowza. Yeah. So, so I've um, always been the Bette Midler character in Beaches, the loud, obnoxious one. And she's been the whatever, tasteful one. Can I say something about Politician as well? Because I really, really loved it. Okay. Helen Hunt directs an episode 
Janet Mock directs an episode and there's one episode called The Voter which is one of the best episodes of TV I've seen recently about the apathy of voters. It's actually a really 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 good show it's a really good show yeah um i just i'd love i might watch it again actually because it's so juicy um, and so colorful and a feast for your eyes as well as being a feast for your brain which is something that doesn't happen very often so there you go um that brings us to our shout out of the week which is neve nishiakon for turning us on to the jennifer lopez episode <laughs> of new york times still processing podcast thank you neve i just love when like these outlets do full episodes on JLo and yeah. talking about how warranted her full creative spectrum is. Do you like Jennifer Lopez? No, I'm not really. <laughs> I actually watched Made in Manhattan with my friend oh the other my night. God. Yeah, it was actually like a joke to watch it. And then we did. We watched it. I was like, I can't believe I'm watching this again. <laughs> this podcast is produced by Andrew Mang and the Castaway Media with support from Susie Bennett. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. And we're still not getting commission from Made in Manhattan. Sarah Fox did all of our design. You can find links to all our socials on our website unitedirelandpodcast.com if you're enjoying listening let us know even better sign up to our Patreon patreon.com forward slash United Ireland drop us a mail or DM or a little message on the gram if you have any suggestions for subjects you'd like us to look at for an episode and great news we finally are available on Google Podcasts woohoo it's so weird because you can't figure out how to get onto it because it's you don't submit anyway we're there woohoo tuna chicken roll this week hit me this week's tuna chicken roll now it's kind of a controversial one but it was a very poignant moment um, that we shared I think I was close to when it happened um, at the weekend in the club in the club uh we were both in Grace, which is just a phenomenal club night. Um, and in the middle of all the techno and the hardcore raving, next of all, the lights go bright and you just hear the vocals of one Melanie C from the Spice Girls singing, I turn to you. And it, it was just actually just a magical moment. And I saw a lot of people talking about it afterwards going, it, it was a standout moment for the night. So that is now our tuna chicken roll. I turn to you, Melanie C. It's a mix, though. Hex Hector club mix. Okay, fine. I've been Ina Mullally. (laughs) I've been Andrea. This has been United Ireland. And that was Monaghan. Monaghan.